Hello, and welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we talk about Denis Villeneuve's sci fi film, Blade Runner 2049. Now let's transfer to our emanators. just recently saw Blade Runner 2049 and my god what an amazing film what did you think Luke I'm glad to hear you say that because similarly I was blown away fantastic fantastic movie and uh, I guess if you're looking for a podcast that's going to have a uh, more measured uh, maybe kind of middle of the road view of this film that's not going to be this one because I don't know about you but I I am in love with this movie yeah, I mean, it's everything I could have wanted from this Blade Runner universe, like going back in and being with these characters and seeing the world progress 30 years later. It just, it did a lot for me and, and it was expertly crafted by Danny Villeneuve and he had such great creatives involved with it and everything from the set design, sound, editing, cinematography, everything was amazing. Totally agree, man. I guess before we get into it, we should say this is our fourth episode in this universe. If you want, if you if you count the book as part of the universe, uh, we started out covering the Philip K. Dick novel, "How uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" And then we watched the original, and then we watched this. And uh, this will, you know, this is like I think a beautiful, amazing film to finish off our coverage. And I wanted to ask you because um, we're going to start out with kind of non-spoiler general stuff and and i wanted to ask you how how your experience was having read the novel just watched the movie and then gone to see it because i i definitely have like a a thing i want to say about it this was i mean doing this podcast has been like a great joy to me and covering the novel was fun and i enjoyed getting into that universe and then revisiting with a very critical eye blade runner 1982 was fun for me because that i I love that i love jumping deep into a movie and analyzing every little piece and then going to see this for the first time and um just seeing a new film that blows you away that does something new for you that you i mean i was i was expecting it to be good but that you weren't necessarily expecting to be incredible it, it's always a great experience walking out and just thinking like that's that's what you go to the movies for is to to have like a transportive experience with something rather, like new characters, new ideas, something that's going to stick with you. And I think this movie did that perfectly. I agree. For me, I I noticed this when we saw it at the end of our coverage um, for that for that combo, and it happened again with this one. I am someone who already gets hyped for movies I want to see. Like, I get really excited. Um, trailers, you know what I mean? Like, trailers get me, and I get super excited. And then often I get let down, but for both of these two movies, that didn't happen. But I noticed that my hype is, like, at a level that I've never had before. Like, by the time I sat down to watch this movie, I was so hyped. And, like, I know that eventually that's probably going to bite me. But, man, like, talking about the book and then talking about the original for just, you know, because took us hours to record these episodes 
And all of that just builds into this like, huge like hype train for me to where I was like, I don't know, man. I was so stoked to see this. And then it it was so good that those two things just made for a really awesome experience. And I hope like listeners can get something similar, right? Like if you follow along that you'll get some similar feeling because it was really, really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, we're two for two right now. We It was, was yeah. an incredible film that I really enjoyed for, for what it was. And mm-hmm. this was just like, I mean, this was like 30 years in the making, like since before I was born, people have mm-hmm. been waiting for this movie and it's, it's such a good payoff for that. And it was made by someone so lovingly that was so familiar with the source material and it completely captured the spirit of the original. It stood on its own as a unique story w- without like having to lean on the original or having to like set up any sort of like universe that's going to continue on from here. It was like I went into the theater. I think we both actually saw it in IMAX, which which was something I wanted to mention. Yeah, I saw it in IMAX 2D. Was yours 2D or 3D? Yeah, IMAX 2D. I think that's my favorite way to see movies now because I'm not a big 3D fan, but I love IMAX. <laughs> so if I can possibly get IMAX 2D of like any film, I, I'm so excited. Yeah, IMAX, I, I just completely, I can't stress enough how worth it, it is to go see this film in IMAX because people typically think of IMAX as like you get a larger screen in a large theater, but it's so much more than that. You get an increased sound source there. It's like you're getting something that people typically don't really think about is like the sound for coming from an IMAX theater is so much better than a normal theater. And this movie, it was very, very important. I have, I think I have slightly reduced hearing um, in at least one of my ears, if not both um, from my time being in a garage band. And because of that, I sometimes struggle to hear movies in a regular theater, like hear, um, sorry, to hear dialogue in regular, in like regular theaters. And I'll be like, man, this, this movie needs to be louder by like 20%. Um, and this, like, that's why I love IMAX. Like you said, the sound, it is so amazing. And like, I don't know the score in this film, which I mean, I don't know how much we can talk about other than to say it's incredible. I went home and like found it on Spotify and started listening to it and and being in the theater in an IMAX, you know, surround sound system. Gosh, it just like it was it was amazing. I will say that there are times that IMAX isn't necessary as far as yeah. like it's 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 a $20 ticket normally, so it's just something that's like it has to be a special film to go see and I knew going mm-hmm. into this one there was one that I would want to see in IMAX. So, I highly recommend to anybody listening go see it in IMAX if you can. The cinematography was unbelievable. We, I got colors and shots that I didn't expect. Mm. The editing was w- really well timed and really in keeping with that Blade Runner slow burn aesthetic, where we're we're getting to live in the world rather than just like shooting all over, like just like cutting, cutting, cutting to see the action and keep everything fast paced to keep audiences interested. That's another thing I wanted to mention about this is the pacing. Um, I know I know some people are going to see it as a fault, but this movie was so confident in the way that it was paced and it knew going in that, well, as you started to get like some of these long form like takes and and different shots, you're, you're realizing like, OK, they're, they're They have the confidence to pull this off to say this is the world we want you to like bask in it. And it's not going to be something where it's like you went and sit in, sat in a movie like you're going to experience this and you're going to feel like you're a part of that world. Man, I, I totally agree. I I think that's the one thing I've seen from some people is maybe they felt like it it dragged. Part of that I think is people being in a theater and it's a two hour and forty five minute movie. And whenever you're in a 
possibly uncomfortable chair surrounded by other people you know maybe you have to pee like th these things can all contribute to you feeling like a movie is long but you know if you if you can set yourself up right i i agree with you i think it's a confident film i think it knows that the the beauty it's showing on screen is worthwhile even if there's not a lot of plot unfurling at the moment um i wanted to mention the the cinematographer's name is roger deakins um i actually looked him up and like he he worked on a lot of uh a lot of great films like no country for old men and um prisoners and 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 a few others like that where it's pretty amazing he's he's worked with the cohen's and and denny villeneuve and and multiple times and he's i mean he's like you're saying he's he's known for all of these masterful films and he's been nominated for 13 oscars yeah, well, he he should win an Oscar for this. He's gonna win for this. Yeah, I I I'm gonna guarantee it that he does. I guarantee it. We should talk more maybe at the end, or I don't know if you want to do it for non spoilers, but I want to talk about Oscars in particular and where where we think this movie might be able to win and stuff like that. I think it's I think this is my favorite movie of the year, um, and I liked I really loved it, and I'd have to look back and maybe remind myself of what other movies I've seen this year. This is a movie that is so good for me that it's entering into the pantheon of my favorite movies. And whenever I start getting into that territory, it's something that I know I have to pump the brakes on and and I need to see it again, maybe once or two more times before I can really make that decision. Because I, I never want to leap to that conclusion because often I will find I really, really adore a movie and then I see it again and I go, eh, it was still good, but maybe not as like amazing as I originally thought. I don't think that's going to happen with this movie, but I want to like leave room for that. So I guess I'm not prepared to say where it is in my pantheon of favorite films other than it's like it's potentially in that group. I'm the same way. I, I treat that very seriously. Like if I, I felt the same way coming out, like I, I really enjoyed this movie and I was like, wow, this is this is one that I know that I'm going to return to. I know that I enjoyed so much and I know that I was so invested in that, but I can totally see this being something that I, that I revisit all the time. And, and like you said, it might become one of my favorite movies. I'm not, I don't think I'm prepared to say that it is right now. Like you say, it's a little, it's a little fresh in my mind and I need to see it a few more times. Yeah. I, it's, it, I think lasting appeal is something we won't, you can't know in the moment. Like you, you people didn't know that the original Blade Runner was going to be what it was, right? And you often can't know this in the, in, the, in the year it came out. It's going to be a question five years, ten years from now. Are we still going to be looking back at this movie as some sort of like high watermark for, for a sci-fi film? I tend to think we might, but it's it's impossible to know. A major part of this movie and, and something that I really respect in films is when the director is confident. Like we said before, this is a confident film. But when the director is confident enough in the audience that the audience can follow along with what's happening in the plot and what's happening with the characters and the things that they're wanting to do. And they're confident in the fact that the movie is good enough that people will revisit and, and get more out of it. And I think this movie just did that all over the place. I know that some people, I never really had this complaint, but in the original Blade Runner, people talked about how the detective work that Decker did was more of just like he happened upon it rather than him detecting and finding these things. And like, I think that with Ryan Gosling's character in relation to him being like a detective as well, they were like, he is detecting things like he's going around, he's finding stuff. Yeah. And that, I did want to say in that sense, this movie was still kind of a noir, like a, I've heard it called a neo-noir and that he is still kind of a de detective who's on the hunt for clues. And, and a lot of the plot revolves around like, him discovering mysteries. I don't want to get into plot specifics yet. Um, we can do that later. But yeah, I think it, it in that way, it, it is spiritually the same as the original film and the book. 
So we've talked Oscars. I think this I think this movie's good enough that it could that it deserves a nomination for best film. Um, I know there's a lot of politics that go into these things. Um, so who knows? And it is a genre movie ultimately. So you never know how whether or not it'll get the love that I think it deserves. Do you think this could be nominated for best film? So I mean, like you're saying, there's a lot of things that go into it. As long as this movie makes the money that I think it'll make, it'll be nominated for best film, in my opinion. Um, I can I know that it will be nominated for best cinematography, and like some of those other uh, some of those other awards will be will be in there as well. I think somebody is going to get nominated for a supporting role or something like that. I I honestly think Harrison might get a supporting role for this movie. I was going to ask if you think any of the actors could potentially like. Do you think Gosling could get it for for the lead? Do you think he 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 did enough on screen for that? I loved his portrayal. Like I thought it was great. I don't. I don't think that he'll get nominated for it. But I think that it. I if I was a part of the Academy, I would. I would. You know, vote for him. Yeah, I think I, I'd consider it, and I wouldn't be upset if he got. I wouldn't be upset if he got nominated for Best Actor. Um, but I kind of agree. I kind of don't expect him to be, and that's mainly because for me, Gosling has a really neutral affect and neutral face that you kind of imprint emotions on as you watch it. With, and he just does like little subtle things, and then you kind of extrapolate out a lot from that. And I like that kind of performance. I think it works for this role. But I tend to think Oscars are going to look more for something really tra- uh, transformative that an actor's done, where they you know are, are almost unrecognizable to their regular selves. And that's not really what this role was for him. He, he I mean, he killed it the whole way through. He, he had a performance that was like you're saying, like subtle and like not very over the top but then there were moments where he like went full on showed the emotion yeah and i i will i I don't think that he's gonna get nominated but i think that he deserves it i would i would be happy for him if he did somebody else that i think should get nominated though i think sylvia hoax should get should get nominated for her for her role um i mean she played love the the one of the prime allies to wallace i guess i don't want to get too much into spoilers yeah, she played a she played kind of the antagonist role, and other than that, she 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 was incredible. It was a great. She did a great job. She was um, menacing, but had a another side to her where you felt bad for her, but then she was also, I don't know, yeah, fantastic kind of villainous role. I agree. Um, my other my other standout was uh, Ana de Armas, who played Joy which I can't talk too much about that character without getting into spoilers other than to say that I at first didn't know what to make of her. And then I don't know, to me, it's one of it's one of the the plot lines that has let that has stuck with me, you know, and we, we should get into We should probably get into spoiler territory here since we can talk about it. But regardless, her performance, I thought was was fantastic in, in this role. I think she did a great job, too. I don't. I don't think that she had quite enough to do to get nominated, but I love the role and I could, if she was nominated, I'd be very happy for her. This is a movie that, I mean, if you haven't heard enough from us um, <laughs> to feel like we're recommending it, we are recommending it. Um, but it's a movie to me that if you watch the reviews that are coming out, they're all like, you know, it's called a transcendent masterpiece, a sci-fi, you know, classic in the making, you know, you know, masterpiece, masterpiece. You see all this stuff, right? And this is a film to me that lives up to all of those over-the-top marketing terms you might hear. When I see those reviews popping up now, I'm like, yes, I totally agree. It is all of those things. I I agree. I think it's a masterpiece. 
but typically in my experience i've i've kind of learned to like understate something and just recommend it and let someone go see it and when yeah. i see those types of ads well, we haven't done that little, here <laughs> yeah i know we haven't we haven't really done that here um but when i see those types of ads i get a little worried because it's yeah. you're sending people in to expect the best movie they've ever seen and this very well yeah. could be if you're if you're not going in being like this is better than every movie i've ever yeah. seen before in my life expectations will fuck with you and you gotta you do that you gotta be careful with that i i think i mean like i i love the arrival uh denny's villeneuve's other other sci-fi film he made recently but i think i love this movie even more than that um it's another movie i've only seen once though so for both of these i want to revisit yeah i mean i guess the last thing i'll say is just that like this this type of movie is like what I go in for like this is my favorite type of movie like you're getting sci-fi you're getting mystery you're getting like there's some action blended in there it's it's just fun there's dramatic there's philosophical things going on and that might not necessarily be somebody else's favorite genre that might not be something that they go in for so I can see somebody being like oh it's not as good as we're saying but like you have to understand that like this is the kind of this is like my favorite type of film yeah it's not a big over-the-top action movie which they tend to highlight a lot of action sequences in the in the trailers. And while there is a lot of awesome action, it's definitely a slower movie and more contemplative movie than that. And so I can see that kind of expectation fucking with people. If you go in expecting some, you know, high-flying action film, it's not really that. It's just so well-crafted. It's well thought out. It's made with love. You know that, that Denny was, was really like a fan when he was a kid. So I just, I highly recommend it. All right. I think I'm, I, anything else I want to talk about, it's going to get into spoiler territory. So I think we're, uh, we're ready for that. Uh, before we get into there, I want to talk to you for a minute about Audible. Uh, we have an affiliate link, audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And if you go there, you're going to get 30 free days. You're going to get a free credit, which I'm going to go ahead and recommend a project that I think we're going to cover. And that is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Um, this is a huge, huge novel. A lot of people have heard of it. But the reason I'm going to suggest this, not just because we're going to cover it, is because Will Wheaton is the narrator for the audiobook. And he does an awesome job. I, and I think that's, to me, that's the way to experience this book, is to listen to Will Wheaton uh, read it to you. That's audibletrial.com forward slash film. Yeah, I will say that I am I've never read the novel, but I am really excited for the film to come out. Steven Spielberg is directing and I mean, he's made some of the greatest films ever made that will stick with me until I die, you know. So it's it's one of those things where it's like we know we're going to cover it. It's it's coming out later. It's coming out in 2018, I believe. And so if you want to get that book, get a little head start and get prepared. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And that's ready player one. All right. Thanks to Audible. All right, so we're into spoiler territory now. So spoilers, if you haven't seen the film, uh, pause and come back after. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of run through the film roughly chronologically. Um, we just kind of want to touch on certain things and talk about our, our feelings on it. So right off the bat, Blade Runner 2049 takes place 30 years in the future from the original film. We open on a shot very similar and reminiscent to the original film. We get eye-opening we get did you, did, whose eye was it do you i mean it's kind of mysterious right yeah i don't know i didn't really think about that do you do you have a theory my theory is that it is dr anna staline i wanted to say it was her eye uh, to me it seemed like a like a woman's eye 
but it's very t- tough to tell these sort of these sorts of things. I could be completely wrong. Maybe Ryan Gosling's eye. <laughs> I I don't really know. I didn't really think about it. Um, I I kind of just thought it was like more symbolic. But yeah, it could be. Yeah. Could I, I could see it being her eye. Maybe it's see. maybe it's none of our characters' eyes. Who knows? Yeah, eyes were another big thing. They kept that going, as I thought they would continue to be kind of a symbol symbolic thing. So we see uh, a spinner flying over the this like kind of the opposite of the original film. The original film had like LA in 2019 with like fire spewing and like like very city like landscape and then we're flying over like farmland. So it lands at this farm area and we get to see Ryan Gosling with this crazy coat that we saw in like a lot of the trailers Man, and stuff. That coat is amazing. I want I want that coat. It's cool, right? Yeah. I mean, you live in Florida, so you probably wouldn't be able to wear it much, but like I want it for here cuz like it rains a lot. And it's it looks kind of like Blade Runner at times in the winter. So, uh, yeah, here in Portland, I would I would rock that coat for sure. I'll wear it just for the cool factor. I'll, I'll beat the heat, you know. <laughs> so we see him and he uh, he's entering this like farmhouse and and. Uh, eventually, we see Dave Bautista's character. His name is Sapper and he's mm-hmm. a he's a grub farmer. And if you listen to the end of our last episode, we we kind of touched on the short films. There were three short films leading up to mm-hmm. 2049. And Dave Bautista's character was a was a basically the main character of 2048, yeah. which was interesting. And so that's kind of gave a little more context to his character because he isn't as in it. He isn't in 2049 as much as I expected him to be. No, I agree. Yeah, it was a surprisingly small role considering the yeah the short film. It made me think he was going to be a little bit more integral. Yeah, I still liked his performance. He did a great job with what he was given, but I would have liked to have seen a little more of him. Agent K is waiting for Sapper to come back into the house, and he's kind of hunting him because he's an older replicant. So. Since Blade Runner 1982, there's been many generations of, of Nexus, and the the model that Dave Bautista's Sapper character is, is newer than the Nexus 6, but not quite as new as Ryan Gosling's. Yeah, so it's revealed that Ryan Gosling is also a replicant here, which I wanted to ask how you felt about that, because I think revealing it right off the bat, not making it a mystery, I think was really interesting, and I it makes his journey different than Deckard's in a, in a, in a pretty stark way right off the beginning, right off from that. Yeah. And I think it was, it was smart and it was cool to get away from like, because you want to be similar. We were given other mysteries in terms of, of agent K rather than it being like, is he a replicant? Isn't he? So we were given something more that, that is basically what I wanted. Like I wanted it to fall in line with Blade Runner. I wanted it to feel like a Blade Runner film while not being like, the exact same thing over again like a reboot feeling things we learn that agent k is a blade runner just like deckard was and he's a replicant blade runner so he's hunting down his own kind and we find out that the nexus 7 which i'm assuming is what dave batista's character is uh the nexus 7 we learn in a little bit can they don't have the four-year lifespan anymore they they live a little bit longer so they need other blade runners to to hunt down these replicants because they're still kind of volatile and violent at time, and may, maybe not necessarily violent, but just unpredictable. So after the showdown with Sapper, Agent K starts to leave, and he sees this dead tree, and he he kind of like tells his he has like a drone that like monitors the area, and as it monitors, it sees through some sort of X-ray that there's there's a safe or like a chest or grave kind of looking thing underneath this dead tree. So he hire, he gets a a dig team to come in. 
uh, and you know, importantly, he sees he sees some flowers that draws his attention to that tree. What did you make of that? Do you think there's a reason it's flowers? Well, I I think that led to the fact that it was like we come to find out that it was a grave. So it was like somebody coming back to visit a spot that was special to them where they had somebody special buried. Yeah, I like that. So I what what I assume out of it is I guess we're going to start jumping through this a little bit qu- more quickly is yeah. there's probably Deckard coming back to visit because in the chest is bones and those bones we find out end up belonging to Rachel from 1982's Blade Rachel Runner. Rachel Tyrell, yeah. Rachel Tyrell. Agent K brings the bones back to the police station where he works. And as he's walking through, a lot of the other police officers are calling him a skin job and kind of like looking at him and he's trying to dodge yeah. them. So we, we know that like he's not accepted by the humans who are police. And he's also really not going to be accepted by the replicants that he's hunting down. So he really has nowhere to, to be familiar or be comfortable. Yeah, I, this introduces one of the primary conflicts of the film for me. And that is what it's like to be to, to live openly as a replicant and and agent k is fully aware of where he fits in society and he, the subtle thing about um, gosling's performance i think is he doesn't have to come out and say like you know i'm uncomfortable with all this but his stoicism in the face of this kind of stuff and like the you know people i think that someone writes skinner on his door like it, it, it you know so it's it's Clearly, um, I think you can make draw comparisons to um, racism, right, in, in, in modern society. And this is um, can almost be considered a, a parable about that in some ways. The police station looks over the bones that, that he brought back, basically. And they've come to find out. They check the serial number and they, they see that it's Rachel Tyrell. And they also see weird breakages in the bone that's consistent with childbirth. So they think that it's a replicant that's created life, that's cr- that's birthed the child. And this is huge because replicants can now create life. And this is also kind of trying, this is getting back to something that we talked about in our our novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, episodes of this podcast, where I was talking about once, I think at the point that you can, they can be self-sufficient, they can, they can create their own life, they can carry on their own legacy is when they, I, they truly become their own society and it's man i totally forgot you said that but you're right you that's like that's amazing you totally called it i had no idea that they were going to do that i just had it's just a happy happy mistake that ended up working out but that's great man i couldn't believe it like i was like i was like wow really so that was at that was at the end of our part two episode if you wanted to go listen to that yeah so yeah i just i mean like i and i'm fully on board with that is as soon i mean they're considered i believe living beings before that but as soon as they can create their own life it's time to step back and well because they don't need humans anymore right at that point to procreate yeah it just becomes they're at the point now where they they create their own life so they should be left to their own devices at this point and seen as equals yeah they have their own hopes and dreams so agent k's superior officer lieutenant i believe it's lieutenant joshi uh tells She's he, she's played by Robin Wright. She tells Agent K that he needs to kill the baby and whoever's with the baby. So he's given an assignment to basically track down the baby that was birthed from a replicant because it breaks the world. It makes it so that the 
people are going to there's going to be revolts and revolution and he needs to keep the world in order basically and he seems affected by it and he says he's never killed anything that's been born before and she's like what does it matter and he's like it means that it has a soul and she's like well it doesn't matter you don't have a soul and you seem to be doing fine and basically he seems very affected by this what do you think about that yeah their their relationship was really fascinating to me um she's she's a human um and he's a replicant and she has like almost maternal leanings towards him but then also i don't know like at least later on there's like some romantic leanings perhaps um which could just be because ryan gosling's so damn sexy um, <laughs> I mean, did you see that shirtless shower scene? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. So her, they're, in, they're, it's interesting. I mean, it, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's complicated and you, you can get that in some ways she respects him, but in other ways she's very aware that he is a replicant and, and that informs their relationship. Like her asserting that he doesn't have a soul. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, that's kind of harsh, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's it's very interesting in, in his portrayal because I feel like my read on it was he didn't agree with that. Like, he felt like he had a soul. I don't know. I mean, it's either he didn't agree with it or there's something else going on, too, where I feel like... Like, I, like I, when I talked about the stoicism, what he shows in the face of all this um, hate that gets directed at him, I feel like he he... he he has ex- he has internalized and accepted that he isn't doesn't have a soul and isn't that you know that kind of being and he's not happy about it like it's a, it, I think it's a source of, of of like sadness for him but I I don't think at this point he's ready to feel like he it's not true like I think he does think it's true otherwise he wouldn't do the things that he does right. Like he thinks replicants don't have souls and he's one of those and he includes himself in that. Like it's kind of like a like a self self hate or something. I can see that. Yeah. I my I still my read on it, I, I disagree a little bit just because I feel like and it's it's basically up to interpretation because of how you're saying he's yeah. very neutral and like you kind of just put your own emotion on it. Well and, and his think- arc is yeah, his arc is about what, what basically what you're saying. Like, I do think he gets there. I just don't know if he's there yet at this okay. point. But that's yeah. you know that's that's a matter of degree, not kind, right? Mm-hmm. So next up, we get this interesting scene where uh, Kay goes back to his apartment, and we're introduced to his companion. I'm not really sure if they were married or just boyfriend yeah, girlfriend. I think they didn't specifically say it because like it probably introduces some like legality and religious things and like you know instead it's just implied that yeah some sort of companion i thought of her as his wife though because that's it was a very domestic scene he comes back and is you know having dinner with her and stuff and so forth which at first i thought was going to be problematic i was like interesting i was like they're going to go this route huh and then as it went on we we found out that she's like a hologram that's like a wallace corp production like it's something that they make as like a companion piece i guess i'm not really sure how to how to describe it other than that she she seems to have her own consciousness. She seems to be basically a replicant without a physical body. Yeah. So it's very, she's like a hologram. And uh, in that scene, he he tells her that he got this device called an emanator. Which he bought with the money he got from, uh, from retiring Sapper, I believe. Right. Which is also like another. It's another throwback to the novel, right? Right. So it's like. Yeah something where it's like he's he's it's like wife it's like it's very very similar to like deckard and his wife 
from the did novel. you think of yeah did you think of iran from the novel for this character a little bit i a little bit yeah i don't think that it was like i think that it was definitely like denny was like or the writers which we'll also talk about i think mm. that they were like going back to the source material for more inspiration and things that they yeah. could kind of tweak and, and use. And yeah, I can definitely see that sort of domestic partnership is something that we're seeing with with the film as well as the novel. This also reminded me a lot of the film Her with Joaquin Phoenix. Mm. I haven't seen that movie, but I, I, I can totally get why that would. Yeah. I know the premise. It's, it's very similar and it reminded me a lot of it, but they, they took it to another degree away from the, that film. What that film posed was basically like, what does it mean to love someone? And this is like, yeah. well, he loves her. We know that he loves her. And it's just about whether or not she is a living being because she's a product. I mean, there's, I don't know if you thought about this, but like, it's so, it's so interesting to think about a, you know, one human creation in love with another human creation and both being kind of prisoners of that, right, of their, of their origins and throughout this whole movie, she was one of my favorite characters. And and I think um, her portrayal was great, but also just the way her character is, I think, kind of a prism that, that um, Agent K is able to view himself through. And that in some ways, as bad as he might feel about himself, he, he I think he feels worse for her because he knows that ultimately he has it better than her because she, she doesn't have a physical body and she isn't biological. And so it makes her very, it makes her a fascinating character to me. And his, and the fact that he is a replicant makes me buy that he can genuinely love her because ultimately the fact that she's unreal isn't going to matter to him, right? Right. It's kind of reminiscent of like how you would, if you were a compassionate person who wasn't, you know what I mean? Who would, who wouldn't mind kind of like Sebastian from the first Blade Runner where he doesn't mind that they're replicants and he still treats them normally. It's like he he's a human who's looking at a replicant and feeling a little bit sorry. And I don't know if he was feeling sorry, but he's like, he can acknowledge the fact that they're, they were human made and yet they still are important. He clearly is showing her empathy, which is something that was tied very strongly to being a human, right? Like if, he, if he's a truly an, an empathy, has no empathy replicant, he shouldn't be able to feel the way for her that he does. Yeah, I think with the the next couple models of the, of the Nexus basically did away with that. They have full empathy is what my read was. But the scene that, that this leads into is basically the emanator is able, he, she was kind of like constricted to the house but the emanator allows him to bring the hologram with him wherever he goes. Yeah. And the first thing they do is they go up on the roof and they, he, she, she experiences rain for the first time. And he kind of is like living vicariously through her as she's Great experiencing scene. that. Because the, it, the clearly her programming is like interpreting what's going on because you see the like water droplets, like, like changing form on her skin. So she's not actually getting hit by physical water, but her programming is reacting to her environment. Which was, they brought up so many interesting things with this character that I've never seen before done in a film. And that's just another praise of the, on the film. And man, when, when he's about to lean in for the, where they're about to kiss and all of a sudden he gets that phone call and it just pauses her at, completely out of her control. That's another thing I was talking about where as bad as he has it, like I think in that moment he sees just how horrible her her existence can be in that in that in that way. It's heartbreaking, man. It's it's. Can you imagine that? Like what is? It's like a 
subservient service that's also yeah. like you don't have a true form and any real control over. And I think that's something that we'll talk about as as we go further into the story. So Kay uh, takes the information that Rachel was in the crate of bo- the bones were hers and there there was serial numbers on her like very, very small on her bones. And he takes that information to Wallace Corp, which Wallace Corp bought out Tyrell Corp when the blackout and revolution of the replicants happened. And basically he's trying to get records from before the blackout. And he, this is when he meets Wallace's kind of num- go-to number one replicant love. And she's kind yeah. of suspicious of what Kay is doing. And they go down to like the records area, which hasn't been accessed for a while. And they go and find her file, like Rachel's file number and say, yeah, she was pre-blackout. She, which was, you know, I think the blackout was in 2022. So she was pre-blackout and they find out a lot of things about her. And basically Kay takes that information and goes back to the farm. She, I think they, they talk about how she ran away with Deckard, right? She went missing from the records. And so they, he, Kay takes this information, goes back to the farm and kind of investigates a little further. And in the tree, he sees an, an inscription that says 61021. So we don't really know what it is at first. I kind of uh, figured it was a date of some kind. 2021 had happened fairly recently. So, and then he goes into the house and he is like, finds a key on, on the piano because he's a detective and he's detecting things. And basically he click, he pushes down on the key and it doesn't play right. So there's something in the way he, he infers. So he goes in and he finds this, this little box that has a baby sock in it. So he's realizing like, okay, Deckard and, and Rachel were here. Rachel was buried there and they had a child and Deckard probably took the child somewhere. I wanted to real quick to mention with the love character, she's another one that I think is another really interesting comparison point for Gosling's character, uh, Kay, because he immediately tells her, oh, he named you, you must be special. And she kind of has this look on her face, and it's clear that for, for me, her her character similarly, and she set up as kind of a foil for him, she is at odds with her feelings of worth right like she wants to believe she is special but everything wallace does seems to kind of show to show to her that she isn't and that ultimately she's replaceable and her that's her like main conflict that drives her is her i think she really wants to elevate herself to being this like unique individual who's super special and and she finds Gosling's character is at odds with her because she she sees him as wanting to be special, and she kind of feels like there's only room for one. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, did you get that from her? I, I was going to mention this later, but she's she's another not only so there's other emotions that can show humanity other than empathy, right? This is something that I've been yeah. kind of thinking about, and jealousy so, exactly. So she's got she's yeah. got other things going on rather than just the empathy she's got human-like characteristics she i mean at in the end we're in spoiler territory so i'm just in the end she wants to be the best so she she considers herself the best replicant and so she wants that's that's her drive that's the thing that pushes her along and that's so close to humanity that that what really is humanity at that point isn't she a part of humanity if she has the same wants and and dreams and then this goes back to something i was going to mention from the novel that you you pointed out with the title of the novel do androids dream mm-hmm. of electric sheep and what that means? And yeah. I guess briefly we'll mention it, but if you want to, you can go back to our episode, episode eight, and basically you can listen to us talk about this at length. But Luke brought up the fact that 
Android's the title do Android's dream of electric sheep is is talking about replicants and whether if they when they dream are they dreaming about the same things that human would dream, humans would dream about or are they dreaming about an alternative it's about aspirations not not like go to go to bed and have a dream right so it's about like it's about like do they do they want the same things that humans want or do they have their own individual wants that that will yeah. propel them along yeah and this this informs that i think too you're right so K realizes the date six ten twenty one means something to him, and it correlates to a memory that we see of him as a child, and he's running through this ironworks area and stashing this this little toy horse he has that has the same date on it, and it's just a memory that he has, which will come back to play a part. He finds he goes to the back to the police registry and starts going through DNA analysis, and he finds uh, someone who was born on that date and finds that there are two identical matching DNA sequences that were born on that day. And he says that that's not possible. No one has the same DNA genetic makeup and realizes that one of them died early on and the other lived. And the one that lived was a boy and the girl died. And so what he realizes from this is that there's some sort of cover-up going on. There's something to investigate further. From the information that he's given, he starts to think about his memory and he goes to somebody who crafts memories, which I thought was really interesting because in order to... Cool scene. Yeah, in order to implant these memories into the replicants, somebody has to create them. So there's a, someone who's actively creating them. And he visits and asks, like, how do you know if, it's a, if, a, if a memory is real or if it was fake? And he, he goes up to her and she, he, she's able to see his memories if he just thinks about it through this machine. And he thinks about it and she sees it. She starts crying and she says, this is an experience that someone actually had. Yeah, and then like he tears up and she tears up, and I thought that scene was really like a like a moving scene without even you understanding why both characters are reacting so so starkly to it. Which later we we it is revealed why. <laughs> yeah, and he freaks out because this is this is our confirmation as far as the story is concerned that Ryan Gosling's K is is the son of Deckard and Rachel. That's what is to be inferred at this point. Now, did you bite? Yeah. Did you bite onto this? It's the first hint. I um I think initially I bit and I thought like, oh, he he's going to be that. But then I don't know at what point, but at some point in there, um, pretty well before it was revealed that he wasn't, um, I started to think like it's going to be it's good. The more interesting plot moment and st story moment is for him to think that he is and then have it be revealed that he's not. But it just, you know what I mean? Like, I was still on the fence. And to where, when it was revealed, it still was this kind of, like, ugh, like, let down. Because you, you keep thinking. And the whole movie's about, like, is he special, right? His wife, uh, Joy, tells him that he's special repeatedly. And what does that mean, you know? And, and the fact that he isn't special, quote-unquote, you know, because he's not the child. Ultimately, that doesn't, that, you know, does that actually mean he's not special? Exactly. It doesn't matter because it's like you could. It doesn't matter. You yeah. could, just because you're not special doesn't mean you can't do something. And something that I think they touched yeah. on. I mean, this is something that was playing through the 1982 film as well. Is that like replicants seem to cherish their as far as Roy Batty, he cherishes his life more than a human would. And it seems like he's yeah. embracing these things and and like he's thought about death and he's thought about all of these things. And it carries through to this film where it's like that they seem to think more about these because they're not real. They're they're confronted with all these different issues that humans take for granted 
and just go out go about their daily lives and don't appreciate and it, this this film really like goes back into how the replicants appreciate life so k in that sense is kind of a blend between the original deckard character and roy batty's character because he is if you think about roy batty at the end of the original has this martyr moment and this savior moment where he saves deckard and you know uh k does something similar here and his even though he's the blade runner in this movie he has the roy batty moment of becoming a savior and become and choosing to do something that makes him uh miraculous or special which thematically i thought was an incredible choice and and we'll get to that scene here soon yeah so while all of this investigation is going on at some point uh wallace is introduced which is played by jared leto and he's continually crafting new replicants and trying to figure out i mean he's saying so many philosophical ideas and he's kind of this blend of like he views them as slaves you can tell right and he has like a god complex and he treats all he thinks of himself as like the genius who should control everything and he's he's found out he's figured out how to do agriculture save all these people and so he's kind of like just saved the world and that he's he's progressed Mm -hmm. them further off world and and like they've done better off planet because of him he is is interested in the genetic makeup of Rachel. So Love goes and gets the bones from the police station, and then he uh, want, also wants the child and Deckard because like he wants to just figure out how this all happened because Tyrell was able to figure out how to make replicants reproduce, but he still hasn't. You know, and this character's. I, I wanted to talk about this because in our previous episode we touched on what we thought Leto would be like as in this role. We talked about it at the end of our last episode after the credits, which would be yeah. part of the uh, short short film that he was introduced in. Yeah, because he's like he is the focus of the second short film. But yeah, I I thought he his his performance was good, but I was very I was surprised at how little he was in the film compared to what I expected. Did, did you agree with that yeah completely agree i thought they were going to give him a little more i will say that he did a good job with what he was given like i didn't think that it was a yeah. bad performance or anything like that he just didn't have all that much he had he had one really i mean he had one scene where he interacted with harrison ford and that scene was like a standout scene but he didn't really even in that scene he wasn't like the reason why i love the scene he was just he did he did pretty well um he basically filled the the shoes of tyrell from the from the first film and didn't add much more beyond that. So Kay comes back from Dr. Anna Staline, the girl who was crafting the memories. And when he gets back, he's really affected by it. And they go through these tests. The replicant goes through these tests and he has to answer questions quickly. And he's failing the test, basically. And since he failed it, he, he went to a superior, Joshi. And he she basically tells him that since he failed his, his test, that he would he has to turn in his gun and badge and they're going to do another test on him. And then if he fails that one, something bad will happen. I think he'll be, I think he'll be killed. Yeah. I assume that's what I inferred as well. She basically says, I'll buy you some time. You have a couple days before your next one. Uh, see you then or whatever. So he decides that this is his moment to go on the run. To me, it felt like she was going against protocol here. Like she had to know in some, you know, somewhere, you know, deep down at least that he wasn't coming back. And that she was essentially letting him go. I, it's inter- You have to read between the lines to get that. But I think with what happens later when love shows up. Tells me that she feels bad enough for him in this situation. And she can empathize enough with him. That she's willing to go, you know, do something she probably isn't supposed to do. 
he tells her that he found the, the child and doesn't really say any more than that. And she's like, you did it. And she was like proud of him kind of. And she talks about mm-hmm. how she can buy him this time. And yeah, I guess we'll just talk about the love scene now. Basically, uh, love comes in to her office and is like, where is Deckard? And this is a little bit further, but she says, where is Deckard? And she won't tell. And so love is like, crushes this whiskey glass in her hand. And she's like yeah. squeezing her hand. I thought that was really interesting. I've never seen that before. Yeah, cool scene. And she ends up killing Joshi because mm-hmm. she wouldn't tell her. Fr- brutally. Like, this is our first, you know, I think, I mean, no, she kills the doctor earlier too. But she she's capable of some really uh, menacing, you know, violent actions. Which is kind of not consistent with what we saw in the short film that showed Jared Leto's character showing that they would rather not kill humans. They would rather kill themselves. After Kay is relieved of his duties, he has to turn in his gun badge. He goes to he goes back to his apartment and Joy is waiting for him and she says she has something special like planned. And earlier in the film, Kay had met like a prostitute randomly while he was like pondering some photos and stuff in the street. And I guess Joy had called the prostitute to his his apartment and then this something that I've never this is what I was talking about with things that I've never seen before. She and ideas that I've never thought about. They she was cause she's like this hologram. She like melds with the actions of the prostitute whose name is Mariette. She melds with her and like basically can take control. And then there's this like interesting sex scene where it's like there's like a delay with the hologram and the actual human. And I mean, I thought it was amazing. I th- it looked it looked incredible. Um, the effect was really convincing. The yeah the it's Mackenzie Davis plays the um, prostitute, and I'm I'm a I'm a fan of hers from Halt and Catch Fire. I thought she was great here. I lo- I love their kind of interaction with each other. Um, the two women, you know, it's got, it's like a business arrangement, but you can tell uh, Mariette, Mariette is genuinely feels something towards Kay. I would say, and that and she displayed that earlier when she met him. And um, Joy is, I think, picked up on that. And so she knew that she'd be a good candidate for this. But then, uh, yeah, we can if we fast forward to later, like, like the next day, she's like, I'm done with you. You know, and it's very like, uh, you know, asserting that the whole anything that was felt by her, you know, it was invalid because it was all meant for Joy, essentially. Right. Right. And she basically just kicks her out. So it was like this thing, it was like a way for, for Kay to like experience something physically because Joy couldn't do it. And I don't know, I just never thought about anything like that before. So that was really interesting. Yeah. And for Joy, and for Joy to feel like she had had, a, you know, this moment with, with Kay. The next morning, like you're talking about, Joy tells Kay to back her up to the emanator because she's like normally constricted to the house and then the emanator but if he deletes her from the house she's only available on the emanator and if that gets destroyed then like all of her backup basically is in the emanator yeah. and he said because she just cause vanishes k is going on the run and she doesn't want to be the reason why he's caught because he's connected to her still and she's like yeah. he's like what if if this thing breaks then then you'll die and you'll be gone and he, she's like that's just like a real girl and she seemed to like get some freedom yeah. in the fact that like there was like stakes at this point she wasn't just like indefinitely immortal basically so Kay leaves on while he's on the run and he goes to the wastelands of san diego where los angeles has been dumping all of its trash and they go to like this this orphanage area and and there's like an on their way there he's attacked 
and like his spinners pulled out of the sky, crash landed, and all like 30 or 30, 40 people show up and they're all going to attack him. And he's like on his own, just hand to hand, like, and with a gun. Man, his, his hand to hand stuff is so good. And like, you know, he has this kind of like gun fu kind of movements, almost like a John Wick character. And it, you can tell he kills like five people with his, with his shots, like immediately, which is just this like, I don't know, cool scene. And then, um, yeah, the, then the missiles start falling out of here. Yeah, so we find out that Love back in the Wallace Corp building is using like some sort of like Google Glass esque thing, and she's like firing missiles <laughs> down at the while area getting, where, while getting a manicure. While getting a manicure, <laughs> and missiles are firing and and landing on basically all the guys that were threatening Kay. And then she's like, "Get up!" She to herself was like, "Get up and do your job." Basically, having saved him, yeah. so he goes to this orphanage where they have like hundreds of children and. Basically, it's an escape for... It's like, it, you know, it's like a sweatshop, essentially. Right. So they're just working on a bunch of little mechanical stuff. And this guy, this guy's like raising them. And Kay is like, let me see your records because there's somebody who was here that I want to know about. And they go to the records and find out that the pages from his records have been torn out. Leading Kay to finally realize like, because the, the, the orphanage also has the furnace from his memory. And he goes and finds the horse with the date on it inside the furnace and basically he's like this is his confirmation 100 percent that he's the child of deckard and rachel okay so for the end here i think let's just hop around um instead of trying to go through it because we don't want to go too long i i definitely have some parts i want to talk about um i know this is where we finally get harrison ford introduced as deckard he goes to he k goes out to las vegas with uh joy and toe and which uh, las vegas is is on like unrecognizable there's orange yeah. dust everywhere and yeah i heard i heard this was based off of a dust storm that really happened that uh denny villeneuve either saw pictures of or experienced and he was so struck by it that he wanted to to have it look like that in the movie wow something about this movie that i did enjoy was that rather than just getting the city with the neon lights and the back rooms and the dark lit you know hotel rooms and and apartments is we got to see many more facets of the world of Blade Runner at this yeah. point. And it's decayed further since probably 2019. So we see snowy areas and wasteland, yeah. orange, and some forests. So so I wanted to ask you, were you surprised at how late in the film we first see Deckard? I enjoy that it was so late, but I will say just from having seen a lot of movies, I expected him to show up sooner. He, the, the fact yeah. that he didn't, I think, added to the film. Like I think that that's give us something to want and if he hadn't been in the marketing at all if we didn't know that he was in this movie then i mean it would just be a totally different experience but we knew that he was here and he was going to show up and then once he started getting closer to the end i was worrying that we were we weren't going to get enough harrison ford in this movie so yeah i was definitely anticipating him showing up i'd be curious to know at what minute mark he actually shows first time on screen but yeah, so what did you think of what did you think? I mean, they they have him kind of living out there on his own with a with a dog that may or may not be a replicant dog. And he's Kay shows up and they, him and Deckerts are having a little gun battle and that was a lot of fun, but then after that, finally Deckard realizes that Kay is isn't a threat and they go and have a drink together and he has a pet dog and Kay's like is this a real dog and Deckard's like I don't know, ask him. And I think that that's just like when that happened it was a it was a moment of humor needed humor like i felt like it was it was perfect comedic timing and then on top of that we got to the question of 
kind of like doesn't matter does just in keeping with that same theme so that leads me that leads me to one of the main questions i wanted to ask you and i guess i'll ask you here and this is something i've been sitting on do you think this film 100 percent confirms that deckard was a replicant no i don't think that it does and I was, okay. and this was when in our last episode I talked about how I really, really hoped that they wouldn't ever reveal it because part of the part of this movie, part of the 1982 film was leaving that up to the audience, leaving it up to interpretation. And the fact that they didn't come out and out and say that he was a replicant, they got close, they got very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, really enjoyed, and I thought that that was like the perfect way to handle it. Uh, we didn't mention there was a brief scene where uh, Kay goes to interview Gaff from the original film. And Gaff says some things that are very like hinting. Like he talks about him retiring, and he talks. He, he he seems to heavily imply that Deckard is a replicant, and he also crafts a little origami sheep, which I thought was a cool throwback to the novel. Yeah, when the sheep showed up, I was like sheep in my theater. I was like, that's a sheep. <laughs> I was excited. So I I initially thought, even leading up to the end credits that it had been confirmed. I was like, okay, so, so Deckard was a replicant. It wasn't until after the movie, and I was thinking about it, that I realized that it was never really said that he was for sure, and that the fact that Rachel had a child is just as miraculous if he's a human, because that meant a human was able to impregnate a an android. So, I don't know. It was really, it was like, I, I like that that mystery is still there, and I didn't think that was something they were going to be able to pull off. And they did it to me. Now, you know, people, I think people are going to disagree. People are going to have seen this movie and go, oh, no, he was definitely a replicant. 100%. Well, I still believe I still believe that he's a replicant, but they just left it open enough to where it could be interpreted either way. Right. Yeah. So while they're kind of while Kay and Deckard are, are talking, uh, Kay, Deckard's like, what's your name? And he says his whole serial number, K, some numbers that I don't remember. And he says, that's not a name. And then he's like, it's Joe, which is a name that Joy had given him earlier in the film. Yep. So his name is Joe from here on out. K will be Joe. Probably keep calling him K for for the sake of the film, actually. Well, it's interesting because um, Joe Joe or K says to to love like, oh, he gave you a name. He must really care about you, or he he must think you're, he must think you're special, or something like that, right? So it's if you take that, it's interesting to think that his his wife named him. It's someone in his life that thinks he's special, genuinely. Yeah, and that made it so that he didn't feel like this is more of him like developing that soul where it's like he's not just the the serial number that they gave him he's more and he's special in his own way regardless of whether he's Deckard and Rachel's son yeah and he and and this is another this whole scene I you know you kind of get the interplay of him clearly he thinks I am this man's son and he has a lot of questions for him about why he didn't you know what I mean like why he didn't know about it and, and and all that right and why he's never met him. There's something interesting to be said for the fact that like the memories lead up to the memories that Kay has, or Joe now has, make him believe that Deckard is his father because he basically is memory-wise. So there is an attack while they're, while they're kind of talking, while Kay and Deckard are talking. There's an attack, and it's from love and some others from the wallace corp and they attack and both deckard and k slash joe were knocked out and deckard was taken away joe was just left there soon after that another group of people while joe is still unconscious they come and take him away 
So during the attack, Love comes up to Kay and like he's kind of like dazed from the explosions. He's dropped the emanator and Joy is basically projected out of it. And Love realizes that, oh, you're, I'm glad that you enjoyed our product, walked up and smashes it with her foot. Yeah. Just a cold-blooded thing to say. And then she, yeah, she ki- she kills Joy. And Joy, right as she's about to disappear, is like telling Kay that she loves him. And this scene was like brutal to me. Like, man, this this really got me. And that, like I said, I really connected with this character. And to see her go out like this was just so tragic. Which which brings up the idea that we were talking about before. Like, do you personally, I'll just ask this question now. Do you, was that like true life? Was that, was that, did she deserve the freedom? You know what I mean? She was She was a product that was mass produced. And it's like asking a further question than the replicant because the replicant is yeah. is biological. She's a hologram that's a program that's mass produced, and it's like at what point has no body. Is it is it considered conscious life? Yeah, it's taking. I think it's taking it to the next step because if you, I think a lot of people are willing to grant that replicants are beings and that they, you know, should be given rights and that they, you know, all this right now you take that and you say okay if then if that then what and so if that's true is a program that has feelings and is programmed to have a sense of self even though it doesn't have a physical body is that still considered an individual and i think if i'm willing to grant that a replicant is that i'm willing to regret to grant the joy joy was so am I. And that's a really profound thing. I will say that prior to this movie, if you if you had given me that question, I don't know what I would, what my answer would have been. But this this right. movie gave me the experience to where I, now I think differently, which is what you want coming out of a film, where it's like yeah. you kind of you now have connected with this character, and even if you are like, oh no, it's a program, it doesn't deserve all of these rights, you were still connected to that pro- to that character in the film when she was crushed like that. You felt something. So Deckard wakes up in Wallace Corp and Wallace walks up and starts asking him where the the child is and talks to him about how Tyrell was able to create procreation within within replicants and Deckard isn't complying he's not going to tell them any information it was a, it was a really it was his best scene I think I think it was Harrison Ford's best scene yeah uh, there was some genuine emotion and I think he really he really brought back that his his love for Rachel was on display, and when he's faced with the, you know, the version of Rachel that that Wallace trots out, it was it was fantastic. Yeah. So Wallace had used the genetic code to make a new copy of Rachel, and when he brings it, when he brings Rachel out, Deckard looks and he's really emotionally affected by it, and then looks into her eyes more and realizes that her eyes are the wrong color and walks away from it. And then love brutally just shoots it in the head, shoots the replicant in the head, killing it. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's very telling that it's the eyes, right? Like it's the window to the soul. If you want to take that old saying, and he can see that this isn't really Rachel. And so here, I just wanted to mention something that was like in this scene, just from a, like a, just from a production standpoint, the the uh, the lighting throughout this this scene was like a revolving light of some kind as it revolved around it was timed out to where it would be like if leto if leto's wallace was saying something intimidating or or evil it would darkness would fall across his face and when deckard first saw rachel walking into frame 
he the light like shone on his face and and i just thought that that was like expertly crafted and it's something that i thought that i would mention while wallace and deckard are talking about all this Kay has been taken by some sort of organization some people who took him while he was still unconscious and he wakes up to this group of this woman at first and she has no eye and she walks up and is talking to him about like what it means and who he is and that kind of thing. And she basically it leads into the fact that they're starting a revolution. They are all replicants that have gotten away and they're starting this revolution. It's building up. That means that McKinsey's uh, character is also a replicant then? Right. So Which she, we had a suggestion that she might have been, but I think it's confirmed here. So I, I thought that she was a human up until we saw her here, but I, when they, when they, I was like, oh, that makes sense that she was a replicant all along. Did you figure out why she didn't have an eye? Why the leader didn't have an eye? I think it's just symbolic. I mean, it's it's another thing about her being it's her lack of it's her lack of humanity and and how she says like we all because it's revealed that that um, Kay thought he was the child and she sees it and goes oh you thought it was you I understand we all wish it was us right and it's because they all want to be special and they all want to be they all want to have souls and the fact that I think that she's yeah you know missing an eye i think is another thing about her it's you know ties into that thing we talked about like perception and the control of perception and the fact that they can't be the things that they view themselves as so she's blinded on you know in some way yeah i like that the so yeah like you're saying in the scene Kay is told basically that deckard and rachel's child was a daughter was a was a female Mm -hmm. And so he, yeah, it's kind of a big moment in the theater. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, damn, well, this whole time I thought that he was special. Um, the reason I brought up the eye was um, the practical reason why she doesn't have an eye in my read or interpretation of it is that's where their serial number is in that eye when they look oh. up into the left. So she popped out her eye. So she no longer had that. been removed. She can't be identified. I like that. So I thought that was really interesting, but I, I definitely, everything that you were saying about them individual being individuals, she's the leader of this revolution and wanting their individuality totally makes sense. So next we get a scene where Kay is interacting with this giant hologram of joy after he's lost oh, her. This scene, this scene, man, this might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. So we're, we're confronted with the idea like he is, is it acceptance? Is it anger? Is it? confusion what is it what is the like what is he feeling when he's faced with the fact that she's gone he's still seeing her and she's just a product that's used for unspeakable things she is this distortion of the woman he loved right like she's naked and 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 uh, uh, you know this like she's almost demon like she's giant and she, you know, she's on display for everyone, which is another thing about how she's mass produced, right? Like she is accessible to everybody and all of her, all of what made her unique to him has been stripped away. And her eyes, I think, like, I don't know if you noticed, like at one point her eyes look red. And I thought that was like a, such a perfect kind of culmination of all this eye stuff, right? Like she isn't, this isn't joy. It's this like terrible version of her. And this is what she's become now. This is what's left of her. And in that moment, Gosling, like, this is his, like, like you said, confusion, rage, sadness. It all comes to a head on his face. And he's he's standing there in the rain and with that, like, neon light playing off of him. 
I don't know. Just an incredible scene. Yeah, Deacons is winning the Oscar for this movie. I'm going to say it again. This movie is... Man, it looked good. It's gorgeous to look at. So he, in this moment, he accepts the fact that he's like, I'm going after... He knows that he's going after Deckard because Deckard's important. Well, and he's whole... so mad, like... I think he it's like it's also like a revenge thing for him too. Like he can't let love get away with what she did. Right, because she's too, associated right? with the Wallace Corp and Joy yeah. was a product of that. And she killed Joy, yeah. After the confrontation with Deckard and Wallace, Deckard is being taken I thought he's being taken off world, right? It seemed like I think he was going yeah, to be he's yeah. gonna be taken off that world. Was, so yeah. they're flying multiple spinners on their way to this this place to leave. And mm-hmm. Kay comes in with his own spinner and takes out like two of them this whole sequence from here to the end man the mu- the music is so good it gets so dramatic and just the tension just ratchets and ratchets and it was so cool seeing those spinners in the dark getting blasted and um you know the, yeah so he I, he he shoots down the main one right and it crashes it and they start they try and head back and they, and we find out they're basically on the shore and there's this giant wall that's been built to kind of keep the water at bay, because I'm assuming global warming, <laughs> the water level has risen to a point where it would have flooded uh, Los Angeles if you didn't build this giant seawall. And they're on the other side of that, though. And they get they they land in this spot that's like between the crashing waves and this wall, and it's all dark. And another scene that's just like incredible to look at. And the way the waves are crashing over the, 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 the car, just it looks amazing. The... They start this fight, right? Kay and Kay yeah. and Love start fighting, and Deckard is like strapped into this this chair that he can't get out of. He's like handcuffed in, yeah. and it's so tense. And the water and the like, Deckard's in it's peril, crazy, and they're fighting. And this is the moment where Kay is bested by Love, and that she like dr- like leaves him behind, and she's like, "I'm the best. I'm the best one." Yeah. And did you get? Did you catch? I don't know if this is maybe going out, but like I couldn't stop thinking about the movie Drive. Because at the end of that film, I guess it kind of a spoiler for that film, it, it, there's a scene that's very similar where um, Ryan Gosling's character runs another car off the road and then shows up and he's wearing a mask and he comes in as this like avenging angel almost. And I felt like that was very much happening here. Like it was a, a very similar scene in some ways. Yeah. This Did you think about that? I didn't make that connection, no. But I definitely, it's very similar. Love is going back to where Deckard's at and she's kind of just like saying like it's all over, it's finally over. And then Kay comes back and starts choking her and literally kills Love, which the joy love name thing is there's something there, right? Like he he loses his joy to love and then love kills his joy and then love, he has to kill love at the end of the... I don't know. There's something there. I don't know what's a, what what exactly he's trying to get at. He has to conquer her, at least. Yeah, I, I like that. It does seem like there's something. There's a... Like, you can't name some character Joy and another character Love and not have it be... Not mean something, right? right? So, in the end, he ends up killing her, showing that she wasn't the best, and he saves... He saves Deckard. He gets torn up during this fight, too, right? He gets stabbed multiple times. Yeah. So he's like they're swimming back to like this this seawall like you're saying and and uh, did you think we were gonna lose K at that moment because I did. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he wasn't gonna come out of the water, which I, which I'm glad he did because I think what we get later is even better. But I, at the same but time, yeah. I I agree. I think that it was good that he didn't. But I would have been fine with it either way because there was something about the water 
reminiscent of the 82 film and like tears and rain and the water and the fight and like losing this savior to this, this to this water would would have been kind of fitting. but ultimately we do it's just a, it, like i said it's just they did they draw it out a little bit more which i i liked he is killed here right he just doesn't quite succumb to his wounds until later right. there's a little <laughs> bit of a fake out where he's like he's like deckard's like calling for k and then or joe he's like joe yeah. and yeah we find out that yeah. uh he made it and then they fly a spinner to a location and then where they're flying is is he says you're gonna go see your daughter you're gonna go meet your daughter you died you died and he tells him that you uh joe tells deckard you died you drowned there essentially you know saying that he's a free man free man and then you're gonna go meet your daughter and it's it's we find out that is the woman in the in the bubble and joe i guess has figured this out because of the memory and he the way she reacted to the memory and um i don't know if you made this connection but i, I was thinking about how when he was looking at those um files that were describing the the child um one of them was said to have like this really bad condition and then have died from it like a like a medical condition and we know that this woman also has a medical condition and she has to stay in this like um glass room and i i think i assume it's the same one i have you know i didn't confirm it but i that's probably another re another way that uh Kay is able to know that it's her in the film when when up when we found out that it wasn't i think it was when we found out that Kay wasn't the chosen one or wasn't the one wasn't the the child um the child. they kind of reveal that that she was the the memory uh character and um yeah i i can't say that i saw it coming at all and and i was surprised by it and but it makes a lot of sense and i liked how it ended up all shaking out so they they get to this snowy location where she the characters in the bubble and they kind of have one last interaction deckard and and Kay have this interaction and He's like, you're going to see your Kay's like, I'm you're going to see your daughter. Uh, go see your daughter. And he's like, Deckard's like, why? What? What are you like? What are you to me? As in, like, why did you do all this for me? And it's kind of like a, an open-ended question where it's like, my kind of read on it is, Kay wants to be part of this larger revolution, but at the same time, he feels as if Deckard was like that's his family as well that he was able to save because of the memories and the ways that he felt. And even those were, those were false memories. It doesn't mean that they weren't important to him. Yeah. So Deckard, Deckard asks him, are you okay? And, and, and Joe says, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll be fine. You know, essentially lying to him. And so Deckard goes inside and then we get the scene where Kay lays down on there, like sits down on the stairs and then kind of lays back. And I don't know if you noticed, but the same music from the tears and rain scene starts playing here. And, you know, maybe it's been tweaked some, I don't know, but it, I thought it was really cool to hear that, like, audible, you know, like, throwback to the original film. And this is, this is our Tears and Rain scene. This is um, Kay succumbing to his wounds, you know, time to die, essentially, right, as the snow is falling on him instead of the rain. But it's a moment where he has done, he's, he has risen above, like, his form. He's saved someone. He's martyred himself for his cause and, uh, you know, has this really... I don't know, poetic end up there on the, on the, under the snow, I thought. Yeah, it was, it, it did not disappoint. I was really impressed and all the way through the end, I, I really enjoyed this movie and something that you talking about that just made me realize is how much more Roy Batty saving, saving Deckard in the first film. Now, you know what I mean? It, it enhances that experience because he saved this character and we can't necessarily say that, De that, Roy Batty knew but eventually he would go on to 
basically save the replicant race because the replicant race is now able to procreate on their own. So he essentially is the messiah of his of his race because he saved the one who would go on to be father yep. a child of his race. Retroactively lends even more weight to that action. I agree. Now, do you think do you this I mean this is the end of the movie, right? Like we end with with um Deckard you putting his hand up on the glass and meeting his meeting his daughter. And then that's the end of the film. Did you think that do you think that Deckard being a replicant versus Deckard being a human, which one of those is more meaningful to you? Because if if he's a replicant, then it's all about replicants, right? And their their autonomy. Whereas if he's a human, it's about the coming together of humanity and androids and how and the overlap there so it's kind of about what as far as the first film was was concerned and that's why i like both of these as far as the first film is concerned i like deckard as a as a replicant more and as far as this is concerned i like him as a human more really and so it's interesting that it's left ambiguous, right? Because it's it's kind of both. When when it's neither and you can't pin it, pin it down, it can be kind of. It's both like that too. Schrodinger's cat thing. It's like if you don't exactly. know what is it, you know what I mean? You yeah, don't know. It's, it's both. both. It's both and neither at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> do you want a sequel to this film? And if so, do you want to wait for a while? Because personally, I'd like to wait because I just want this to sink in and have the cultural impact that the first one eventually did. You know, honestly, I th I'm tempted to say no, I don't. Um, but you know, I didn't want the I didn't know I wanted this movie either. And then we got it, and it was amazing. So I I will grant that there could be like if if the script was right and the characters were right and they found a way to take it to another level, then I could be okay with it. But like you said, I'd like to see some time pass. It doesn't necessarily have to be 35 years. But five or ten, maybe like, I don't know, like you could bring back uh, Jared Leto as like an older Wallace character or something. But yeah, I don't I wouldn't want I wouldn't want two years from now to have Blade Runner 2051 coming out or something like I wouldn't want that. I really like I, like I would rather kind of just let this movie sit and because I, I, I'm yeah. so happy with it and I don't want anything else to come out that isn't of this quality. I would love to see if yeah. they were like could guarantee that they were going to put out another film that would do this well and would yeah. be this affecting i would say do it tomorrow but i just i would i really enjoy where this where the series is kind of led to at this point and i like the way that questions are constantly coming up in both films and like this one carried over from the first one just so perfectly yeah, it's a special film and i think that it's naive to think that you can you know hollywood can just put out another one of these uh, I agree. I, th I think if there's anything, wait. Another thing I wanted to ask you was about this line that we hear a bunch uh, that the Wallace and Tyrell Corporation use in it. That's the more human than human. Do you do you yeah. kind of have a read on what that means to you? And like, I guess we've kind of touched on it a lot, but just I just think that that's something that we should mention. Um, I mean, I there's a white zombie song called More Human Than Human that I always think of when I hear it. It's probably based off of it. Um, I, I'd be willing to bet. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's, I guess the idea that replicants could be even greater than humans, right? Because they, they could be a perfected version of a human. And what's, what, what's so interesting is that I feel 
that they accomplish that now at this point because we're like with with Robati and something that I mentioned earlier with the the replicants appreciating life more and really seeing it for what it is and like you've kind of created this this because I guess humanity at this point has become jaded or just not as as thankful for the things that they have and then and then you get this this race that's more human than human because they're embracing every day of their life. So the last thing I wanted to mention, because I said uh, in the previous episode, I talked about how Ridley Scott says that Deckard is a replicant. That's like, he's confirmed that Harrison Ford has repeatedly said that he is a human. And now I just heard uh, the other day that Hampton Fancher, who is, who wrote the original screenplay for the, for the original film was also uh, kind of the main screenplay writer on this film, he came out the other day and said that Deckard, he feels that Deckard is a human. So all the way dating yeah. back to 82, we have all kinds of discrepancy. Yeah. Well, I, I think for us, uh, it's it's an ambiguous thing. And I, I, I'm okay with that, ultimately. I'm not going to be, I'm not frustrated by that. I think it's interesting. So I think that finishes up our coverage of Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, and that's the end of our of our, you know, coverage of this entire universe and it's it's been it's been fun. I really like doing this project as our second one. Um I think it's we really got to get into some really philosophical interesting discussions. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, I've been really happy about it. It's it's definitely I will remember Blade Runner forever even more fondly than I did because of this project. Yeah. So we want to go ahead and announce what our next project will be. It's going to be a shorter project. Um, we're going to do the film The Thing from 1982, which we will be dropping around Halloween. And prior to that, we are going to cover the novella that it is based off of, a novella called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. It was released in 1938. So this is an old novella. A lot of people don't know that that film is based off of it at all. I think it is a pretty distant, um, you know, basis or adaptation of of this novella, but we'll find out. Um, I know we're gonna we're gonna cover the entire novel in one episode, and then we'll do the movie in one episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The Thing, 1982, is another one of my favorite films, and and just I, like getting into that Holly that Halloween spirit, uh, I think The Thing is is the perfect film to watch. Yeah, we wanted something creepy, something uh, seasonal. So it'll be a short project. Like I said, just one episode for the book. And I think this is a great movie. Like a lot of people won't have read it. That's fine. I think this is a perfect one where you can just come check it, check it out. And unless us talking about it makes you feel like I got to read it, um, you could just hear us talk about it and kind of get a sneak peek at what this uh, source material is like. And we hope that you will join us for that because we're trying something a little, little different there and going with something that's very lesser known. But yeah, we hope you will join it, join us for that. So we just wanted to say thank you to everybody for listening. We wanted to thank Audible for our affiliate link. You get a 30-day free trial, and if you and you get one free credit for a novel. Our Audible free trial link is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. We also wanted to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. Yeah, and um I, I just wanted to ask everybody if you're enjoying this podcast. Please subscribe. Please rate. I've asked you to do that before, um, but it's a huge help. And also, if you know someone who you think would enjoy this, would enjoy this kind of coverage, and is you know would enjoy um, really doing a deep dive into, into projects like this, let them know. You know, spread the word. We we really want to grow this thing, and and the best way to do that is word of mouth. Yeah, we would really appreciate that.
All right, and uh, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Ink to Film on all three. Uh, we got a website, inktofilm.com. Yeah, we hope to hear from you. Write us in if you want to write in about the thing that's coming up. Uh, send it to inktofilm at gmail.com, and we can, uh, we can consider your thoughts uh, before we get into it. And we might even read some of your feedback on the air, so we'd love to hear from you. All right, it's been a blast. Thanks for joining us for this whole journey, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. All right, I'm Luke. And I'm James. See you guys.